Thanks. Welcome to the House Rich Podcast, a show dedicated to the professional development of anyone involved in the home buying or selling process. I'm James Walters, your host, and I believe that when we level up our knowledge and skills, we'll serve our clients better, create stronger communities, and see our businesses grow beyond what we ever thought possible. If this is your first visit to the show, thanks for stopping by, and be sure to come back each week for fresh content from industry pros. My role as a lender, I have to admit, waiting on an appraisal report gives me anxiety. Right now, a lot of buyers are willing to take the risk of making offers well above market value, and that's cool if they have the cash to back it up. Working with an agent who is skilled at evaluating comps and determining a market value is vital for me. I depend on their expertise to give me the best info they have available so that I can advise our mutual client on the best strategy based on their financial position. Ultimately though, a home's fair market value is determined by a licensed appraiser. And because I'm a lender, I'm legally not allowed to have direct contact with appraisers, but that doesn't stop me from sending them my positive energy each morning and hoping they all woke up in a good mood and are ready to write some really big numbers on their reports. And that's why today I'm talking with Ruth Payne, a seasoned real estate agent who runs her own firm in the Raleigh and Wake Forest areas. She also serves on the Wake County Board of Equalization and Review, AKA the Appraisal Review Board. We talk appraisals, crazy due diligence, and where this whole seller's market train could be headed in the near future. So stick around till the end because this episode is packed with wisdom. Ruth, thank you so much for being on the podcast last week. We were talking a little bit about what you've been up to and it came up that you've been working with the Wake County Appraisal Review Board. It's got a different name. It's the Board of Equalization and Review. Now, what's it, so what's the equalization part? The county has appraisers and they have a commercial side and then a residential side. Their desire is to get homes appraised as close to actual appraisal as possible. So each year, typically in July, the new tax bills go out. And then individuals and businesses that don't agree can start an appeal process. And sometimes it starts out as informal where they simply notify them and say, hey, this measurement is wrong. And they try to informally handle as many of those questions and appeals as they can. But when they can't, they make an appointment and it comes before the board. There are three residential panels, maybe, and two commercial panels. So that process is really just before evaluating what the tax bill is going to be. I see. Yes. Which is pretty critical because if you think about it, Zillow, all of those entities that determine the value of homes usually go to the county records to pull that information. But what are some of the most frequent things to come before the board? Typically, it's value. It's been very difficult for people, for example, downtown. It's really hard because their property values have well exceeded their value of their homes. And that's happened around North Hills, around all the inside the Beltline, because the property values are so high. It's hard when you have a little house that doesn't match up to everything. And now the property value is higher. And most of those people are in those homes because they've been in them a really long time. And that's what they can afford. And that's where they want to stay. But a lot of them can't afford Texas. Okay. So if I go down Anderson Drive or one of those that's right in the Beltline, 
line. You're right. It's tiny house right next to a lot that's been scraped and a new house is going that's three times the size right. and takes up the whole lot just about. What does happen to those? Do they just really get priced out eventually? I certainly don't want to speak for the county. Sure. I know that the reality is the value of the land went up right. and could they sell it and get significantly more? Yes, but then what can you buy? If they need to stay in that area because that's where schools are, that's where jobs are, or that's their family home, they don't want to move, then it's definitely a challenge for those folks. And I've got a heart for people, but the reality is the value, and that's our job is to just establish the value. Right. And so when a value is challenged, what things are coming up when they say it's not worth as much as the county's saying, because what do they Typically usually... condition. And there are certain um, things they can apply. There are measures that you can take because that some conditions are, they've just never been updated in residential neighborhoods, for example. And I do this in my job. When I'm listing a home and I look at what the comps are, I can go to MLS and I can look at what's sold in the last six months and... Mm-hmm. I can see whether the counters have been updated. And so when people have properties that have not been updated, and typically it's not just not been updated because the county doesn't know everything that's been done on the end. That was my next question. If it's a home, is it more like it's this many heated square feet? Mm -hmm. It's on this size lot and they call it a day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically. How many fireplaces does it have? Does it have out structures? Separate structures that are on the property, things like that. I think I heard just the other day, 19 total board members. I don't know all of them, so I'm not sure. I know that I've worked with two other realtors, but we're not all realtors on the board, but we're actually helpful to the board. It sounds like there aren't a ton of realtors on the board, but you're definitely in the business of needing to know what Mm -hmm. a home's value is. So Mm -hmm. that's something you're very interested in. It's something you've gotten very good at. What do you feel like that experience has brought you? Oh, it's definitely helped me when I'm pricing for listings. I represent buyers and sellers, Mm -hmm. so it helps me do my job. If I'm listing a house, I want to list it even in this crazy market. I want to list it right, and I think I've gotten pretty good at it. Because as an individual and as a home buyer, you would like to think that what somebody is Willing to pay for your house is what it's worth. That makes sense. Right. Really. But the reality is banks loan money based on the appraisal. Yes. That's why we're struggling in the market that we are right now, because there's so much, all the winning bids are considerably higher than what it's appraising for, what's going to appraise for. So even if you're a buyer's agent, you've got that added concern. You have to make sure your buyers, they're offering this money. Do they have that money to bring to the closing table? Right. Because it just forces people to have a lot more cash on hand. Right. That is tough because some people don't. Or they work really hard and they've got a great down payment and they've got all their closing covered and they've even got money for furniture when they move in. And now they are coming to find that, no, they need that furniture money. They need that furniture money to bridge the gap between the appraisal and their offer. Yeah. So your perspective from seeing appraisals be challenged. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other things that you've got in the back of your mind? One of the things that that it's a big part of the valuation are the comps. Mm-hmm. So what else is in the neighborhood? What else has sold? What homes are there? What area is it in? There's all kinds of different things that get factored in. If someone's listening right now and they don't know to the depth that you know about appraisals, they get appraisals, they know how to measure, they've gone through all the training. But based on your experience Mm -hmm. with Wake County, something that could help 
another agent out there? I would just say they know what to do, but just do your homework. We're taught what we know. And I think that's what I offer in my board position is that I do have that real estate background. I do know how to look at comps, but you just have to do your homework. And often, and I think my peers will agree with me, it's real obvious when you do your homework and when you don't. What do you see happening in a year when maybe, let's say, things calm down and prices and comps are still way up there where they were this spring? I don't think what's going on now is sustainable Mm -hmm. over the long haul. The average buyer just can't afford to even be in the market. So when people can't buy, that's going to slow things down. It's got to. Yeah. And I'm I'm concerned for the people that are paying considerably over, but I'm I'm painfully honest with my clients because I don't want them to think a a year or two years from now, she ain't done me that. I want at least for them to know, yeah, that's what we said. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. When you sign on a new buyer and you're having that conversation, what surprises them? Because I'm sure they they're on Facebook or socials and they hear a little bit about it. If, even if they've talked to a friend and say, yeah, I'm looking to move. And their friend's like, oh, it probably yeah. tell them some more stories. One of the biggest things is due diligence, which mm-hmm. in North Carolina, it's not in every state, but in North Carolina, due diligence is Funds that you offer the seller with your offer, your as-is offer, by the way, because the North Carolina contract is really an as-is contract. Sellers will negotiate things of safety, structural issues often. They'll negotiate needed repairs for those type of things, but you can't count on that. It is an as-is contract. But if they don't fix it for you, then they have to disclose it because it was discovered. So if your deal falls apart, then it becomes a material fact that should be disclosed. But I think those due diligence funds, we used to see, say on a $300,000 house, you might do $1,500. Mm-hmm. That was a generous due diligence okay. because the seller gets that and they deposit it instantly. I tell my listing clients, you put that deposit in right away because if they back out for any reason, they do not get that back. The earnest money that comes into play after the due diligence period, which is the period for them to get their inspections and do mm-hmm. their due diligence. That's named for what it is. But now it's crazy. I remember the first time I saw a 10,000 due diligence, I was blown away and I got it on my tune of $50,000 house. Wow. And that was before you had inspections, before you've done anything. So that's a scary number. And for many people, I just had a conversation with the buyer yesterday because for her, she has the money to put 10000 down as due diligence. But if we go in and then she gets her inspections and there's something big, mm-hmm. more than 10000 worth of problems and the seller won't do anything about it, which I would hope they wouldn't, but if they don't. Right. And she either moves forward or she walks away, but she leaves her $10,000 there. And that's her money to buy a house. She does now no longer has the money to play in the market. Right. She's cashed in all her chips, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So yeah. Where do you see this going? It sounds like due diligence is the big lever right mm -hmm. now for people making offers. And I I don't think due diligence existed 15 years ago. It didn't. I think it came into play maybe because there are still people that bought houses before and we've listed them and we've sold them and we're looking in the market. And of course we Long before we've listed and sold their house, we talk about what the buy side looks like. Yeah. Because that's pretty, yeah, it's they're pretty going critical. They're yeah. going there next. But they're like, what is that do? What do you mean I don't get that back? Right. If you're looking in the peripheral area that doesn't have city services and you have well and septic mm-hmm. inspections with a radon and a home inspection, you're easily at that thousand dollars. You need to be confident about what you're going into. So I have these conversations with clients. And sometimes the one I had yesterday, I said, I feel bad because I'm afraid that you think I'm discouraging you from wanting to buy a house. 
I work on commission. <laughs> I want to sell you a house. Right. Don't get me wrong. But I can't in good faith not have this serious conversation with you. Yeah. Because I don't want to be just your agent for this transaction. I want you to think of me anytime. And I want you to know mm-hmm. that I have your best interest at heart. And so that means discouraging you right now. And I'm sorry, it's not my intent, but... Right. It's important, especially if you don't have the money to play in this market right now. Yes. And I have to have that discussion with people daily when it Mm. comes to the financial side. I'm sure. And when they're trying to, again, like we said, a second ago, cash in all their chips, if they don't have a whole lot of cash on hand, it's time to be a little more conservative. And that is a big impact on people, Mm -hmm. especially if they're needing to move or looking to move right now. What are the conversations like with your fellow realtors about this due diligence having such an impact on the market right now? You know, I had a listing that went on the market through 65. We got over four and $125,000 of due diligence. Whoa. And I fell out when I saw it. I called the agent and said, I just got to know why is he putting up this much? We'll take it, but I just want to know. I said, I'm just curious. And she said, he's lost too many offers and he's not losing this one. He wants this house. So bad for the other offers that we have, because of course, nobody's touching that. If money Uh, talks, he was screaming. Yes, he was screaming. But on a $365,000 house, we had that one, which was so out of the ordinary. But we had a 20K, 210K. I think the lowest due diligence was 8,000. Okay. Whereas a year ago, it would have been 2,000 if you really wanted to show them how serious you were. Yeah. 2,500 maybe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally crazy. In fact, they're not even uh, half the time, not even bothering putting earnest money down, which is what Mm. kicks in after the due diligence period. So if you typically have your due diligence period, if you back out during the due diligence period, then you only lose your due diligence money. If we roll into the earnest money after the due diligence period and you've put earnest money down, you back out all the way up to the day of closing because in North Carolina, you're allowed to do that. Okay. The buyer is, seller is not, but buyer is. But if you back out in the earnest money, you lose your earnest money as well. So typically, if people are going to back out, they backed out during the due diligence period. Well, now I've seen several contracts recently with no earnest money. It's all due diligence. Okay. They're putting everything they have on the line to say. In the riskiest pot, In the riskiest so to speak. pot. That's wow. right. That's not sustainable. Yeah. So it will change and the people that are sitting tight will be fine in the long haul, I think, yeah. because Raleigh is then the whole triangle area. It's a growing place. It's not yeah. going to get smaller. When I was on the Rolls Royce planning board, I remember at a meeting, people are complaining because they don't want growth. There was a group that uh, they want their small feel. They want their little town. Mm-hmm. They want the benefits of having things around you, but they wanted their small town feel. And I don't blame them for that. Yeah. But I said, this area is going to explode. It yeah. just is. We talked about and came from Austin, yeah. Texas, and we watched Austin from 1980 to 30 years I was there just, just explode, explode. And you can't even tell where where you leave Austin and go into another suburb. Like, for example, here, I believe the day will come where you won't know where Raleigh ended or, or Wake Forest began or Nightdale ended and began in Wendell. I think it'll mm. go even to the other side of Wendell. Wow. Raleigh, with the fact that you have 445, 40, mm-hmm. you have ways to get around, multiple ways to get most places. And that was not the case in Austin for a very long time. Yeah, it, everything went north and south. There was nothing yeah. east and west. Okay. And so it was a big, it was a big issue. It yeah. was a big problem. I think the infrastructure can be done, from what I understand, that encompasses all of it. And that's a big responsibility. 
What got you into the real estate business and what you love about it? I worked 30 years in the legal arena in Texas, Mm. litigation, defense side of the bar for the most part, a little bankruptcy. And I was a legislative liaison for a couple of sessions in Texas. But for the most part, legal arena, loved it. I owned a litigation support business, sold it and uh, moved here following at the time my first grandchild. And I wanted to do something different. So I explored a couple of avenues, just ended up thinking something I had thought about previously was real estate Mm -hmm. in Texas, mostly because I like to look at houses. (laughs) I like to look at how people have them decorated and things like that. Yeah, Silly, but I thought maybe real estate. So I went to real estate school, got my real estate license, and I actually went and did real estate paralegal work for a year because I didn't know anyone (laughs) (laughs) I had the business that I sold in Austin. I I still had to go back. And then that was part of the buyout was I had to uh, continue to be his employee for two years after he bought the business. Anyway, I I was traveling. And so other than the people I knew at church, I didn't know anyone. So Uh in real estate, it always sounds like such a great gig. Everyone wants to do it. You can make a lot of money and you have a lot of freedom. But the reality is I'm a 24-7 agent. So if I'm awake, I'm available. And it took me a while just to get my business going. Mm-hmm. So I did real estate paralegal work for a year. It was good insight. It's a little frightening to me that you can get your real estate license and help people with the biggest investment of their lives for the most part. Yes. With a what four months investment. Mm. That's a frightening thing. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought if I did real estate paralegal work, that might better equip me. I've always not wanted to be your average bear. Um, Try to do more because it is everyone's biggest investment for the most part. It is. And so I want to know what I'm doing. And even with the biggest firms and the the greatest intent, Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't, you can say something that makes someone think one thing and you don't know what you don't know until you realize you didn't know it. And so it's a frightening thing to me. And I think that's my litigation background. It's very easy to sue someone. And so it's frightening to me to not fully represent someone to the fullest extent. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's motivated me to go above and beyond because... And that's why you've gotten involved in so many of the different educational opportunities you have. And and they're not educational opportunities like you're consuming Mm-mm. the knowledge you're participating, mm-hmm. which is what I found really great. It actually helps. It's that type of learner. So it's more effective for me. Now that you've got experience, what is it that you love about working with your clients? I love being their person. It almost feels like we break up after they close on their house. I'm like, did you break up with me? <laughs> because we've spent so much time yeah. together talking about all the nuances and, and going back and forth. And we start from getting the house ready. Mm-hmm. If I'm listing, then all the way from the very beginning, getting the house ready, all the way to close. And that's a long journey. Buying is even a longer journey, and especially right now. It's so emotional. It's always right. emotional anyway. It's just yeah. an emotional process. And I was always pretty good at winning, mm-hmm. pretty good at winning deals. But I've had more challenges with that lately. Okay. Just, and I know we can throw some giant number out there, yeah. but you got to feel good about that. Yeah. And so I find myself discouraging buyers right now. And, but I, I just love what I do. I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just. Like I said, I don't want to make just a a client out of them. I end up becoming friends. All my business comes from referrals. Real estate is something people get really eager to get into. But man, you've got to be, you've got to be prepared for the peaks and the valleys. Yes. Because I think even the best have peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you're 
getting really involved in that section of real estate because Mm -hmm. a lot of people, they just take their continuing ed that's required. I consider that passive. You're consuming that information, even though it's good to get information. But when you do what you're doing and you really get involved in the process and you see the places where it can get a little bit messy and when you're working with people who have to really make the hard decisions, the tough Mm -hmm. calls, and you get to see that firsthand and be a part of it, that is so much more valuable for you and for your clients. It's been really helpful to me. And I'm thankful for it because we can go get all kinds of different designations. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen, but for me personally, it's just been this practical application Mm -hmm. of actually being on the planning board, actually being on the appraisal review board. Yeah. The board of equalization and review. (laughs) The board of equalization and review. (laughs) Then no one would know what that meant. Unless you said the appraisal board. You first told me that and I was like, oh, okay. Cool. Then you said appraisal uh, review board. And I said, I know what an appraisal is. Uh, and I, I can imagine yeah. what you would do if you're a board yeah. that reviews them. Yes. Oh, one thing I'd like to say. Yeah. I feel it's really got to be very difficult for appraisers right now. It is tough for appraisers right now because they are in high demand. Mm-hmm. I see people talking about appraisals a lot on social media just because people are offering wildly over what a home is worth but their goal is to figure out based on what's around what is that home actually worth not what is it worth to you that's right what's it really worth right and sometimes their answer is not a popular one well no as you if the loan product is a 90 percent ldv then Mm -hmm. They need to know what that number is. Right. What is the 90% loan to value on that? And so it's of great importance. I think when we get six months past Mm -hmm. what's going on right now, it'll be interesting to see because a little bit afraid. Yeah. Things that close now. Where they'll be mm -hmm. in six months. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be like some terrible drastic thing. As long as people stay put for a little bit, Mm -hmm. as long as they're prepared to do that, then put your money in and go play. Yeah. Okay. That's good advice. Play hardball. Come to play or don't come at all. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you again. I've got just one more thing. It's the lightning round. These will be easy. These are just right off the top of your head questions that allow the people listening to get to know you a little bit better on the personal side. And the first one, I know we talked last week and you just had your eighth grandchild, right? Yes. Yes. Number eight. So the question is, which one's your favorite? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. I'm not even answering that. (laughs) I don't have a favorite. Totally kidding. That was a freebie. What's the best book you've ever read? Could be any genre. It doesn't have to be business. It can be fiction. When I read, it's the same thing about movies for me. I like to read just for relaxing. I don't want to have some deep thinking. I just want to read and be told a story. Yeah. So I've read like everything John Grisham has ever written, ever. Okay. And I think it's my legal background is of interest to me. There's always that play in there. But yeah, it's so, it's embarrassing to say John Grisham. (laughs) (laughs) That's not very good. If you work hard, you need to relax too. It is relaxing for me. Yeah, that's good. Last question. I ask everyone this question, but what's the best advice you've ever received? To listen to the voice that's inside of you, Mm. to listen to that voice. A dear friend told me that because we struggle so much sometimes with what our desires are and what we know to be true. And so just to listen to the voice, because for me, it's my conscience and Mm. that I will never get led astray. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. That's really nice. No one's ever given the same answer. So really, that's interesting. That's really good. Thank you again so much. It was such a great conversation. You're so welcome. I've enjoyed seeing you and talking with you. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening today. Each week we share valuable content so you can level up your knowledge, skills, and life. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like access to even more content or have someone you'd like to hear on the show, head to houserichpodcast.com and drop us a note. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you.